0: When Blanche thinks she's pregnant, she goes to the doctor only to learn the news is much worse. She's going through the change. But what if Blanche will change? Will she lose interest in hitting on any man in her vicinity? Will she overcome her depression with the help of the gals? Will the male minks decide to settle down in Miami and open a cafe? Let's explore these topics and more in today's episode, End of the Curse. for the friendship we've come so far and traveled wide you're my best friends i could never lie i love when we party dance and sing and laugh just doing our thing no matter the misters that come Girls, girls, welcome, welcome to season two of Always Be My Sisters, as we've now entered season two of The Golden Girls. And what a season it is. We have so many fantastic episodes coming up in the next 26 weeks, and of course, some duds, including the oh-so-dreaded Empty Nests. I'm most excited for another one of my favorite episodes, Isn't It Romantic?, Josh, what are some things you are looking forward to as we enter season two?
1: The fashion, the dates, the further storylines about mink. <laughs> and I think that in a season two, usually a show that's popular is really when they start cruising. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward. I know there's some iconic episodes. And I think the very next episode we're doing is one that I remember. The Is that the ladies of the evening? Yes. that I, That I recall the... I know that one, and yeah. I'm excited to watch it.
0: There are definitely a lot of they—they they have found their groove, and there's a lot more, just quotable moments and iconic storylines and incredible fashion, of course, as you mentioned.
1: I also can't wait to see who else you're going to have uh, stop by the house. You know.
0: Oh, I know. You know, you're
1: having a lot of doorbell drop bys and That's I, right. I can't wait to see who's coming up. You know it. Um, and I can't wait to hear also from uh, from fans. Yes. New- Original, burgeoning, (laughs) extra crispy.
0: (laughs) New season, new setting as we start out in the garage. The garage that is supposedly out the back door in the kitchen, but that kind of wouldn't make any sense. Ah, but that's what we love about their magical mystery house. As Dorothy is talking about pollution affecting the Everglades and the animals that inhabit them— Topical. She and Rose are cleaning out what appears to be animal cages, several of them, stacked over six feet high. For Rose, the only thing sadder than the state of the Everglades is what happens to your thighs when you sit down and they kind of double in size. As Dorothy ponders Rose's stupidity in silence, Sophia comes out carrying newspapers. That's when we learn what is going on, leaving fans speechless. The ladies are getting into the mink breeding game. Anyone who knows the girls, the real-life versions, know they were huge animal lovers. As previously mentioned, the ladies worked with PETA for campaigns, and Betty especially was and continues to be an outspoken animal activist. That's why this episode only sparks confusion and questions of, I wonder what type of deal was struck? When reading the script, the ladies were all pretty outraged at the idea of them not only breeding animals, but for slaughter and profit yet somehow producers were able to coax them into it. I'm not sure why producers wouldn't be more understanding and maybe change the plot a little bit, but perhaps it just came down to time or a network conversation consisting of do this or else. Either way, it's sad that the girls had to do something they so much despised and to have to do it on network television. The whole mink plotline is its own, oh boy. While fur has finally started to really fall out of fashion, there are still many mink farms in the U.S., about 275 of them. Wisconsin is home to the most farms, but my own state of Oregon is in the top five producers. Reading about the farming on furcommission.com, it's kind of upsetting to see how much more care is given to the animals people wear than the ones people eat. I can't go too deep into this topic, or I will explode with anger as my heart lies with Betty and the animals. But suffice it to say, each mink had potential to maybe bring in about a 100 bucks in today's money. Oh, God, and I just saw that the Fur Commission page is located here in Oregon, and the news articles they have are such garbage propaganda, and I need a break and some water. (laughs) Thanks for your patience. Anyway, fur is murder. Now, where were we? When Rose naively asks if the animals have to die for the fur, Sophia sarcastically says, No, Rose, women like wearing coats that urinate on them. Which, all that could make me think of was when my brother owned sugar gliders because you could not pick them up without them peeing all over you. Fun pet. Anyway. Hmm. Hmm? What's what's
1: it like having a weird brother? (laughs)
0: You mean a weird family? Yeah. I I think my mom brought them home from a coworker at school. Ah, but she, as I have learned recently,
1: had some exotic pets of her own as a youngster. She it did. All makes sense. Do you guys have other weird pets besides sugar sugar gliders? Sugar gliders. Sugar <laughs> in a water.
0: <laughs> um, nothing really outlandish. You know, a rabbit, some birds, some fish. I had rodents always. But nothing like, yeah, the sugar gliders were kind of as exotic as it got. And those were only for a few months because they literally just peed on you constantly. And I think they were very unhappy. It was terrible.
1: And they were passed along to?
0: We found, I think we found either a family that had had them before or we gave them to like a sugar glider sanctuary. Something that was like specific because you shouldn't just, they actually sell them at the Oregon State Fair. I've seen it, like, they just have a booth and you can just buy some and I'm always like, I'll just walk by and be like, they pee everywhere and smell really bad and they don't like to be in cages. Don't do it. <laughs> so don't buy sugar gliders. Buzz kill. <laughs> and besides being concerned about their mink peeing on them, they should also be worried about them bleeding on them because, yes, they do have to die. And the way it happens is horrific. It all starts with an electrical jolt. Realizing that the mink work isn't any different from her farm life, where she learned the circle of life and that animals only exist to serve her, Rose feels content in the fact that the animals will then go to heaven. And just like the boots she had to wear with Big Daddy, Sophia isn't interested in needing to wear any to attend Rose's livestock afterlife. Staying in her room because she's depressed, Blanche hasn't arrived yet. Sophia's pretty sure she won't be there until the minks are in coat form at Neiman Marcus. Blanche has been in her room so long, it's nearly beating her personal record she holds with a lifeguard suitor. Our first plot whoopsie from season two is already here. When Rose inquires if Stan ever got Dorothy a mink or anything like that, Sophia chimes in that he wouldn't so much as buy her popcorn at the movies, but Dorothy answers that she always dreamed of having one. But, um, if we could just go back to the break-in, Dorothy, remember? You were most upset because your mink stole was taken, your mink which was given to you by Stanley. How quickly we forget what we already have. Finally, Blanche arrives. She's channeling a bit of Dorothy's Riddler in a long green silk robe with a light pink nightgown which matches the trim of the robe. When Dorothy, in her flowing jeans and white t-shirt with a terracotta-inspired overshirt, inquires as to how she's feeling, Blanche nearly screams before turning around and leaving. So we'll take that as you aren't feeling much better. Wearing one of my favorite sweater vests in her collection is Rose, who follows in light slacks, a long-sleeved white shirt, and a vest with a house and clouds. Nearly hysterical, Blanche makes her way from the garage through the kitchen and to the living room. On the way, we see the newest kitchen addition, a cumbersome fern that makes it tricky to tantrum from the garage without almost knocking it over. Attempting to convince the girl she's fine, Blanche assures them in a nearly manic tone that she was crying tears of joy. Joy! Rose isn't so sure, but that's because she's usually not sure about most things. Desperate to know what's going on, the girls beg Blanche to tell them why she's so upset. All she can say is that she's so hungry, but she's nauseous and in shock. The girls keep pushing. Tell us, we're your best friends. So she does. With a mousy voice of fear and her own shock, Blanche lets the words escape her mouth. I'm pregnant. Rose, who was just assuring her friend that nothing could be that surprising, promptly faints onto the couch.
1: It's a really terrific flop from Betty White in that moment.
0: It's great. So good. The, um... The direction is great because the camera angle allows her to stand in front of the couch, but she's angled to where she knows she's going to fall. Like, they obviously practiced it, and it's just so well-placed. And she even does her eyes a little bit, like, zoom, 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 and then just straight back. It's a really good one.
1: She she totally sticks the landing.
0: (laughs) And we don't often get a lot of physical comedy from Rose. Yeah. She's more the, you know— Blanche does a surprising amount of physical comedy. But yeah, Rose, not so much. But that fall is really top tier. And you know, coming up is
1: one of the funniest things I think she's done on the show so far. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, you know. I know. So good.
0: Dorothy's stuck in the middle, dealing with the shock of Blanche's news and concern for Rose's well-being. As Dorothy yells out her name and slaps her cheek, a pink and floral house-dressed Sophia comes through the kitchen door. Unconcerned with whatever might be going on, she simply says, play nice girls, without even slowing down. Blanche summons Sophia back into the room to explain what's going on. Listening attentively, Sophia stares at the girls over her plate of watermelon as Rose explains she was seeing stars, shocked at the shocking news. Understanding, Blanche agrees that she too would have fainted, but the fear of falling face first and chipping her beautiful teeth was the only thing keeping her upright. Fun personal fact, I have a Jim Carrey Dumb and Dumber style chips tooth. Of course, it has a fake bit correcting it, but I can understand her fear. Granted, I didn't chip mine from fainting. I was about 10 and playing on a friend's backyard tetherball pole, which was placed in a cement-filled tire. My friend's older brother, who I happened to have a crush on, of course, was showing us how you could pull the pole back, hold on to it, and kind of let it swing you around. I tried, but I was so petite back then, it wouldn't fling me around. Instead, it yanked me face-first right into the pole. That was the worst waiting for my mom to pick me up ever. Still unaware of what all the hubbub is about, Sophia lashes out. What is the news? Rose breaks it to her. Hearing that Blanche is pregnant, Sophia looks like the wind is knocked out of her as she slowly takes a seat in the living room chair with a, Holy cow. Developed in 1972, home pregnancy tests have come a long way since this episode aired. While nowadays you can go to the dollar store, pee on a stick, and find out within two minutes your gestation status, the little perfume bottle tester Blanche is holding up is only part of the process it took in 1987. According to inverse.com, a home pregnancy test at this time was basically like a little science kit you'd get for your kids. There were trays and tubes and droppers. You'd pee into one part, mix it with another, then wait two hours the longest hours of your life, I'm sure. Luckily, we've advanced past using sheep's blood, which some of the first doctor's office tests had to use, and past the seven-step process to just be able to pee on a stick and have a digital smile come up, which is a little bit of some dangerous right-to-life propaganda. You know, a positive might not include a smile, Cheryl. Hopefully Rose knows to not put Blanche's urine behind her ear like perfume. And hopefully that test is accurate, since it is pretty significant news. Trying to help her friends understand, Blanche starts talking through the many shade options her test could have come out as. They only serve to remind Rose of drapes she used to have in that color. Leaving Dorothy to watch in horror as her friends derail the entire conversation with a discussion as to what color the test is in a classic Golden Girls exchange, Rose thinks it looks puce, Blanche always wondered what that looked like, and Sophia thinks it looks more like lavender. But Rose hated those drapes, and Blanche loves lavender because it brings out her eyes, leaving Rose to point out that her eyes aren't lavender. This is such real talk, I feel like I'm sitting with my girlfriends or my mom and just letting our thoughts spill out of our mouths. All of this, of course, is very annoying to Dorothy, hence why she screams girls at them. Real quick, for some reason, when you Google puce to get an idea of what that color is, one of the first image options is for a freshly fed flea. So, that's puce.
1: <laughs> oh, what? What is puce? Is it like a bloody red? It's
0: it's like a pink. Well, it's like a a full flea. <laughs> I've
1: never. I...
0: It, you know, you pull up sometimes I pull up colors a lot because I want to describe the outfits better than just like blue, black, whatever. And I pulled up this color and it's kind of like if the if our coral wall here had more of a pink undertone, mm-hmm. that'd be close. But um or like our clouds. So, yeah, it's like a, a rusty pink almost. And it had the little squares with the different shades of it. And then like the third one is just a big red flea. So it's a beautiful color.
1: Yeah. That's awfully upsetting. I don't like to think about how gross those bugs are when you look at them up close. From far away, they look like little guys, and you get up close and they're monsters. They're eating us and our dogs.
0: Back to the topic at hand Dorothy, Queen of Reason, asks Who's the daddy? A look comes across Blanche's face as though this was the first time she had even considered that there was another party involved in this transaction. And now that she's thinking about it, she has no idea who the father could be. Blanche has pretty much lost track of her period. Lucky duck. When I used to have mine, now managed with birth control, I had no choice. It demanded all of my attention. That and my extreme fear of pregnancy really had me staying on top of it. But it happens. You realize hmm, did I have my period last month? Was it just really light? So you can't blame Blanche for not noticing. Although being 11 weeks late or almost three cycles missed, it is a bit more of a concern that she isn't in tune with her body as well as she should be. Especially
1: for someone that does so much...
0: Lovemaking?
1: Yes, in the boudoir.
0: Yeah, that's something... I mean, that's just... The, the part of the responsibility that comes along with that, you know, there's nothing wrong in that lifestyle, but there are some extra responsibilities involved.
1: Unless you want a baby.
0: Well, that too. <laughs> but, um, you know, she's referenced it. I don't think it's happened yet, but throughout the season, there are several references to condoms. So I think, especially being in the 80s and, like, she's aware of AIDS and all of that, that I think she's pretty careful.
1: Sex is best when it's one
0: on On one.
1: one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) While Blanche doesn't have an app to track her period, she does have a book to track what she did and who she did. So she leaves for her room to find out who the father might be. While waiting, Rose shares a relatable story, that she had a pig once that got pregnant and they never knew who the father was. Who knows, in a place like St. Olaf, it could have been any pig or Sven. Returning with her book of sexual victories, Blanche finds the week she thinks she might have conceived, and as Dorothy approaches, she slams it shut with a, I don't know. Dorothy begs to see, but Blanche won't let her. She starts to explain herself, which she doesn't need to saying that she was feeling extra sexy, so she got extra sexy. Uh Uh-oh, that sounds like me when I ovulate. So perhaps that's what she was doing when she was doing the men in the book. While the dictionary defines few as not many, but more than one, Blanche's definition is closer to four, although she doesn't give us an exact number. She is right, though. Narrowing down when you conceived isn't as easy as picking a day you think it happened. With how eggs and ovulation work and how long sperm can live inside your body, it can be a pretty big window of time. Coco, did you know the fun fact that sperm can live in a vagina for about five days, meaning you could have sex with a sperm-producing partner on a Monday and not ovulate until Friday and then get pregnant from that same sperm? Know it. I invented it. <laughs> I trained mine to live for two weeks.
1: Yeah, I trained mine to to strike at my command.
0: <laughs> little cobras. That's
1: right, all of them—millions <laughs> of little cobras. Think about it, everybody. <laughs> Sex cobras. No, I didn't know that. the The human body is a really just a weirdest, craziest, grossest miracle. It's it's an amazing machine that is so sick and twisted.
0: What upsets you more, fleas or the human body? (laughs) Oh,
1: the human body. Both seem to be very upsetting today. If you put a flea on a human body, I die.
0: (laughs) As the rest of the gals do their own math, realizing their number of partners in their lives is the same as a ten-day span for Blanche, she's doing her own equation, realizing she'll be sixty-five when this child graduates from high school, implying she's currently only forty-seven. Hence why Sophia corrects her. Nah, you'll be more like 70. Nice try, though. Not one to be concerned about the well-being of her potential child, Blanche starts to rattle off all the horrible things to come. That instead of being confused for her children's sister, she'll be the oldest mother. And that her body, while it did bounce back, barely, according to Sophia, from her youthful pregnancies, she won't be able to after this baby. It's all too much for Blanche, and she storms off to her room, leaving her book behind. We finally get the names and the total number of potential daddies. It's five: Rick, Joe, Bob, Don, and Dave. If 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 you're being safe and oh, in the yeah, '80s, you're totally then you're fine. good. Totally. Yeah, and she's like 52. Yeah, girl, go get it. Hell yeah.
1: Yeah, if they're around and they're standing,
0: right? if you know what I mean, then, yeah.
1: then you gotta, you got to have a seat. <laughs> Skirting that explicit rating.
0: <laughs> if they're standing, I'm sitting. Blanche's life motto. Back to the garage and the minks. Rose can't understand why, even though they've provided the caged animals with all of the romance a human could want, soft lighting and even softer music, the animals are struggling to copulate. Sophia suggests they just stop staring at them like a bunch of sickos. Arguing back, Rose points out she can't possibly watch them all the time. She leaves for work. But remember how you called from your lunch break to ask Sophia to check on them? Dorothy decides they need to provide them with an aphrodisiac. Dorothy's right. An aphrodisiac is a food, drink, drug, or substance that is used to sexually arouse a person. While the little pills at the checkout stand at the gas station may have you thinking aphrodisiacs are everywhere and are proven, well, that's not the case. Sort of. There are foods that might arouse the eater, but only because of how they look or taste. You might find an exotic food erotic simply because it's exotic. Are bananas an aphrodisiac? Not technically, but could eating one in a suggestive manner arouse those involved? For sure. Not me, though. Bananas are the devil's wee-wee. Same goes for foods that are hot, wet, or engage all of your senses. As for Spanish fly, well, I actually always thought that that was a name of a cocktail. Turns out it's the name of the product you get when you smash up blister beetles. Literally going back to Roman times, it was believed Spanish fly was an aphrodisiac. Even today, you can buy bottles of Spanish fly, which is not much more than sugar water, and I'm pretty sure the minx wouldn't be interested. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go on. (laughs) Anyway.
1: I come to and he's gone.
0: Did he say anything?
1: Yes. He asked me for some water. Some uh, sugar water. Sugar water? Yeah, if I remember that right. Because I thought that that was odd. They'd ask me for sugar water or not. Lemonade or ice water or regular water or tap water.
0: Rose is extra special in this episode misunderstanding everyone, not sure what words are, thinking that Spain is dirty and there are thousands of flies, not just a single one for sexy time. But I do agree with her when she questions Dorothy about the name Spanish fly. If it's for a beetle, why call it a fly? Why call it Spanish? No, it's not because it wears the traditionally Mexican hat, a sombrero. It just is. This whole interaction has left Dorothy exhausted, and she has totally lost interest in working with the Minx. Just then, Blanche comes in after having gone to the doctor. Okay, maybe we have a little bit of an answer when it comes to the Vortex house. When Blanche opens the door to the garage, we can actually see outdoors. So maybe the door from the kitchen actually leads outside, not directly to the house. So that makes a little bit more sense?
1: I have a theory that perhaps the garage is not attached and there's like a breezeway between the house and the garage. I
0: think that's what it has to be, even though the garage is connected to the front of the house via the house. You know, when we see the house, Hmm. it's just there. Oh, right. At the front and connected. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But once you're in the house, yeah, I think it has to be a a little breezeway, a little... Uh,
1: corridor. Yeah. An open-air corridor yeah. is what it is, it's basically. Yeah, it's the only right? answer for it. Yeah.
0: Where were we? Ah, yes. Blanche was asked about the doctor, and she tantrumed away. Running to her room in a very stylish, tight white dress with a white button-up fashionably tied around her waist, accompanied by red heels, a red purse, red earrings, and red lips, we get a fun new view of the hallway when we see it from the perspective of looking out of Sophia's door. Following close behind are a white-pantsed, denim art teacher-wrapped Dorothy and a pink pant and sweater combo with floral, turtlenecked Rose. As the door closes in Dorothy's face, Rose is there to assure her. Blanche is in there. We know, Rose, darling. We just watched her go in. This amazing detective work is what leads Dorothy to refer to Rose as Columbo. Columbo was a television show on NBC led by Peter Falk. If you don't know him from Columbo, you know him as the grandfather telling the story to Fred Savage in The Princess Bride. Columbo wasn't a traditional TV show, though. It only had a few episodes a season, airing as a movie special. Peter was loved as the Matlock reeking of cigar smoke in a tan coat. He never let the bad guys get away, because he always had just one more thing. Oh, one more thing, Sarah. Uh- A
1: thread, sir. From the parka? Uh, No, sir. We haven't traced the garment from which the thread came from yet, sir. Lieutenant, if I were you, I'd get a search warrant for all four people involved. Uh, Yes, sir. That's just exactly what I've done, sir. In fact...
0: The girls get back to being supportive of Blanche, saying the baby will be fine and it's not as bad as she thinks. In fact, if she's worried about the baby having health issues or birth defects because of her age, she can just get a fluid sample, or as Dr. Zbornak put it, amniocentesis. Rose backs Dorothy up. We'll all help with the baby. I'll take him to school, Dorothy will help with homework. Before they know it, they're already arguing about what college the non-existent baby will go to. Rose, of course, fighting for Minnesota, Dorothy wanting Harvard. Point goes to Rose here. Who wants to go to an Ivy League school? Actors, kids, and predators? As the argument drags on, they have now decided the child is a boy, and they are continuing to make hypothetical decisions for him. Hearing all the bickering, Blanche is fed up, and she flings her door open to say, he isn't going anywhere. Of course, Rose takes the emphasis of he to mean it's a girl. That's when Blanche breaks the news. It's not a boy. It's not a girl. It's not a baby. It's... The end of her life. Rose approaches Blanche to console her and to apologize. She did what good friends do. She had judged her for being a slut, but she never said it out loud or acted like it. Now that's friendship. Always being literal, Rose takes Blanche's, my life is over, to mean she's actually dying, like from cancer or something. Of course, that's not the case. Blanche is just being dramatic. It's not an illness, it's menopause. According to the National Institute of Aging, menopause is a point in time 12 months after a woman's last period. The years leading up to that point when women may have many changes in their monthly cycles, hot flashes, or other symptoms are called the menopausal transition, or paramenopause. The menopausal transition often begins between ages 45 and 55. It usually lasts about seven years, but can last as long as 14 years. During the menopausal transition, the body's production of estrogen and progesterone, two hormones made by the ovaries, varies greatly. Bones become less dense, making women more vulnerable to fractures. During this period too, the body begins to use energy differently fat cells change, and women may gain weight more easily. Menopause may be triggered by a hysterectomy or surgical removal of the ovaries, which produce hormones. If you have surgery to remove your ovaries or uterus and are not taking hormones, you will experience the symptoms of menopause immediately. So, the lack of period is where Blanche is getting the idea she's pregnant. And seeing as it's only been a couple of months since her period, it sounds like she's in perimenopause and just starting what kind of equates to a second puberty. Man, being a woman is so rad. Josh, I'm hopefully a few years out from experiencing menopause. My mom had a hysterectomy, and of course, because she has a magical body, just kind of skipped everything. She took her hormone pills and... That was it. I don't even think she had a single hot flash, whereas I'm sure I will be experiencing an extreme level of everything. Did you have anyone in your life that went through menopause that you were kind of directly experiencing?
1: I survived my mom's menopause. (laughs) She was, yeah, it was, it was. It felt like it was a long period of time and she was not feeling great. A lot of hot flashes, a lot of mood swings, a lot of just probably some of the same kind of feelings that we're dealing with in this episode that mm. Planche is having. Um, yeah, it was really tough for her.
0: Did she talk about it at all? Like, did you know that that was what was happening?
1: Oh, yeah. I knew what it was. Yeah. Okay. And she would just be like, oh, here's a hot flash. Here we go. And she'd just be a, just like a bucket of water was on her. She was It was, uh. it was horrible. She hated it. She hated it, obviously. Right. A duh. Yeah, what a fun reward after a... You know, just a long life of being alive, you know.
0: Dealing with periods, yeah. dealing with having babies, Half dealing with
1: or more, you get to everything. Just, yeah. You guys just get no, no quarter. It's true. You never no get breaks. to back off. You never get to chill. Your well, body's the always first, trying to kill you. The
0: first 13 years are great. Because
1: everyone makes you feel bad about yourself?
0: Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> I think my mom having her hysterectomy, I think... Well, I don't know how genetics and hormones work, but I think there's a lot of similarity there of just very extreme hormones. And I think she did experience kind of a perimenopause or a premenopause because there was definitely a chunk of time where we were just not getting along and she was um, just angry, you know, that irritability, which as a woman, you know that you don't notice. I mean, I know there are times that I don't even notice that I'm just – you know awful (laughs) definitely thank you uh but yeah i so not about menopause but about pregnancy almost every year as a kid i would get and this says a lot about me this is every aspect of my life i would get a new diary and i'd be like this is it this is the year like You hear about people always having their diary and you see it in movies like, oh, my diary was stolen. You know, it's like part of your childhood or supposed to be. So every year I'd get one and every year I'd be the first entry would be like January 1st. This is it diary. You know, I'm going to write in you every day. And I'd get like three days in and then I'd find it a couple years later and be like, oh, this is trash (laughs) because that's all I wrote in it. And I had one that was actually cool. It was meant for kids. It had like little cartoon monsters throughout it and it was just small spaces for writing and I found it a couple years ago and it had one spot in it in like the summer that she was pregnant with my brother I believe and all it said was I can't do this for nine months (laughs) 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 because her hormones were so and you know my mom and my mom's very open about this she had a lot of miscarriages so her hormones for about seven years were just i can't even fathom what her brain was feeling like with all those hormones and pregnancy hormones and then not pregnancy hormones and all of that and dealing with the loss there and the loss grief all Mm -hmm. of that and uh yeah i just remember she was just so irritable and so cranky and so insufferable (laughs) just wrote, so here I am, eight years old, nine years old. I cannot do this for nine months. And that was the only entry I got into that diary. We're back with the ladies who are now in a psychiatrist's waiting room. Blanche is being forced by the girls to talk to a doctor. She may be going through menopause, but her behavior is presenting more like extreme depression, crying all the time, staying in bed, not eating. They know she needs professional help. While she may not be ready for it or wanting it, kudos to them for looking out for her and sitting by her side through all of it. Well, not all the girls. Sophia only tagged along so she could go to the famous Wolfie's Deli afterwards. Well, we made it a whopping 11 minutes into season 2 before our first oh boy comment. While a ton of progress towards talking about mental health, especially in the last few years, has been made, the 80s was a different time. If you saw a therapist, something was wrong with you. Mental health doctors were nothing more than quacks. So, of course, when a man comes walking out of the office, Sophia gives him a look over before deciding he's definitely a serial killer. Dorothy, of course, corrects her to say that normal people go to psychiatrists. It's good to talk through your problems like you would with a friend. Correcting her, Rose points out they aren't called friends. They're called psychiatrists, which starts with psych, short for psycho. Her delivery of this line with a little exaggerated head shake is pure perfection and gets a chuckle out of me every time. Coco, I know you enjoyed this as well.
1: It's my my favorite moment of the episode. (laughs) Something about the way she says that is that she's... It's like she knows a secret about them. Yeah, and it's that they're psychos.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: secret psychos. Or
0: you had said when we were watching that like it was almost like a little kid piecing everything together yeah. and just staring off, talking to no one really.
1: Psycho. It's such a great moment. Yeah, <laughs> really good. Is she wearing that really smart blazer?
0: Yeah, she's there? wearing the muted version of Blanche's wonderful outfit.
1: Yeah, Rose looks. I mean, they both look great. Yeah. Uh, I think Rose is just just looks dynamite there.
0: Psychiatrist means psych. For psycho. (laughs) It does not. She's right. This psycho moment didn't help Blanche. She's now convinced the doctor will think she's a nut, so she has to leave. This whole moment quickly turns into a near nervous breakdown when Dorothy pins Blanche against the wall in an effort to get her to compose herself. Screaming and hollering, Blanche continues to refuse to participate. Dorothy eventually snaps her out of it, pointing out she needs to calm down. She's in a psychiatrist's office for crying out loud. Just then, the door opens, and it's Dr. Baronsfeld, which I can't help but think there was a specific name with "baron" being the theme of the episode. Dr. B is being played by Broadway and television star Philip Sterling. He had 117 acting credits and many well-known roles on Broadway. Funny enough, of those 117 roles, 16 were as a doctor. And this isn't the last time we'll see him as a doctor to our girls, although next time they'll all be on the couch. Strangely enough, for this episode and for the one he's in in the future, they use the same actor as a psychiatrist, but not with the same name. It's hard to believe, but Philip's career in television started in the 1940s. Through the years, he was on As the World Turns, Another World, The Doctors, Maud, Mash, Different Strokes, A-Team, Growing Pains, St. Elsewhere, Murder, She Wrote, of course, La La. And he even had a recurring role on The Wonder Years as Grandpa Pfeiffer. As Blanche hesitantly makes her way into the office of her male doctor to talk about what it's like for a woman to go through menopause, Dorothy reminds her that they are going to be right outside the room waiting for her. As Dorothy sits, Sophia points to the man across the waiting room who she refers to as banana boat time, meaning being mentally unwell, because he appears to be speaking to himself. That man is being played by George J. Woods, a man who was in Santa Barbara, The Golden Girls, Bates Motel, the TV movie, They Came From Outer Space, and The Invisible Man. And that was it. A couple of gigs in the 80s, a couple in the 90s, and he wrapped up his career in 2002. I'm not sure why he didn't do more acting, but I hope he enjoyed his time working with the girls. No ma, assures Dorothy. He just has loose dentures he's trying to correct. He's not talking to himself. To prove her daughter wrong, Sophia approaches the man, asking if he's talking to himself. Of course not, he says. He's merely talking to his Martian friend, Framwonk. Once again, Sophia is oh-boying all over the place. You don't ask someone that. And writers, we don't mock them mentally unwell. This does it for Sophia. She's making her way to the restaurant now, and the ladies can meet her there. See it, at Wolfie's. After overhearing the conversation, Rose scoots closer to Dorothy, further from the man and his fake Martian. In the room with the doctor, we find Blanche sharing why she is so devastated by the news. That it doesn't just mean you can't have a child, it means you're growing older. You're going through the dreaded change. Hearing her but not validating her is Dr. Barron, who simply reminds Blanche of what it is that's biologically happening and promising there isn't more to it than that. But then she again has to tell him, yes, there is so much more to it. Crying, she makes her way across the room to fidget with a crooked picture— She gives us a great catwalk moment in what is one of my favorite looks on her, a black and floral jumpsuit with a purple structured blazer with purple earrings. It is so chic. Blanche goes on to say she's not only surprised that she's there because the time has come in her life that she's experiencing menopause, but that she's seeking help for her mental health, something no one in her family has done before her. In what sounds like something from my southern part of the family, she clarifies, they only saw psychiatrists when they were institutionalized. You know, guys, if you talk to someone regularly, you might avoid the mental issues that lead to needing inpatient care. Just a thought. Just throwing that out there. Blanche finally points out the obvious, that her male doctor couldn't understand because he's a man. Men don't lose their sex appeal with age. Like with the actor Cary Grant, as previously discussed in another episode, he could have any woman. Men simply get better with age. Blanche is accidentally feminist here, pointing out the unfair hypocrisy of aging. While 80-year-old Cary Grant could have anyone, she defies you to show her a woman that is only in her 50s that could get any man she wanted. That is, except for Joan Collins. Joan Collins, dame and star of the 80s drama Dynasty, has always been acknowledged for her graceful and almost unnoticeable aging. She looks like the Paul Rudd of older women. Even now in her 80s, she is known for her naturally, unbelievably youthful looks. Finally, the doctor hears Blanche. Oh, so you don't want menopause to happen because that means you're getting older and that means you'll lose your sex appeal. And for Blanche, that's everything. Giving us an oh boy, Blanche shares that her sex appeal is all there is to her and all she feels men like about her. Now she'll have to, quote, hope to become an intellectual and find a retired Jew. I'm not sure what exactly that's referring to, that Jewish men don't care about looks, or if she's an intellectual, a Jewish man is the only type of man who would want her. Either way, oh boy. The audience reacts appropriately with some groans and stand-up comedy, ooh. Doc B. prescribes some self-love to Blanche, telling her she needs to find the value in herself and the value she brings to other people. Not hearing him, Blanche shares how she's starting to see her mother's face in the mirror and how scary it is because that means she's reaching her age. I know I've been having that happen more and more. While this scene is the mentality that has been ingrained in women for, like, ever, I'm working really hard on changing mine. Maybe it's morbid, but when I see or hear my mom in myself, I try to hold it in a place of delight and love. She's going to be gone someday, and her voice and face is going to fade from my memory. While they bother me now, I know those moments, when I catch her in the mirror, will be what I have of her when she's gone. But Blanche can't see it that way. Feeling old or undesired is like death to her, and it's keeping her from wanting to even get out of bed ever again. Making their way around the kitchen fern, Dorothy and Rose are still on the mink thing and have now called a vet to see what they can do about getting their minks horny so they can have babies that will then be ripped away from them and put into... Anyway, Blanche is out of bed and at the kitchen table. While it's exciting for Dorothy to see she's up, Blanche shoots down the excitement, pointing out she's only up because she was eating in bed and she doesn't want to gain weight. The only thing keeping her going is waiting for Daniel Steele's newest book. Daniel Steele being the prolific romance writer who is actually, fun fact, the best-selling living author in the world. Who? Daniel Steele.
1: Daniel Steele? yeah. Oh, well, I should start reading her immediately. <laughs> Did not know that. Isn't
0: that wild? I mean, she has a huge catalog. I'm sure she has ghostwriters at this point. And uh, they sell like hotcakes. Good for her.
1: You know, we were at that that beach house this weekend. Tons of Daniel Steele. Oh, were there? At least 10 Daniel Steele not novels. Not
0: surprising. Yeah. Well, they're beach reads. So perfect.
1: Horny beach read.
0: <laughs> the name's horny beach read. Sophia has been listening to Blanche's pity party and asks a clarifying question. Is this all because of the change? That phrase alone upsets Blanche. While Dorothy tries to remind her of all the positives, no cramps, no bleeding, no hunger, no moodiness, Sophia ends the list of things you won't have with a new addition that you will have, a beard. Because of hormone changes, some people going through menopause will experience a change in facial and body hair, so she isn't wrong. Although I'm pretty sure you just end up with some stray hairs on your chin, not a full facial hair situation like the former president of the state of Palestine, Yasser Arafat. Thanks for helping to calm the situation as usual, Sophia. Here's where we learn that all of the ladies except Blanche have already gone through menopause. Rose saying she never got a beard, Sophia pointing out she never got brains either. Then Dorothy shifts the convo to share she really enjoyed menopause, that she was so relieved to be done with PMS. Blanche and Rose can't relate as they didn't ever suffer from premenstrual symptoms, jerks, but Rose did have a BMW. Rose, that's a car. Maybe Sophia was right about those brains. My soul sister Dorothy goes on to explain what her symptoms were bloating, moodiness, and how menopause ended that to her delight. Blanche can't understand how she could possibly be happy about it. Dorothy lays the hammer down. Easy, because she never paired her biology to her sexuality. Okay, so some hormones changed. I'm still the same person I was, which, according to Sophia, is very unfortunate. Breaking all sorts of barriers, the ladies start a frank and honest conversation about the difficulties of being a woman, how unfair it feels to be in a body that does things you can't control, then are judged for having the behaviors that accompany it, how men not only don't have periods, but they never have to go through menopause either. Then the period talk starts. Rose sharing she was shocked at her first because no one had talked to her about it turns out as tough and cool as alma was she was a little too proper to have the very important talk with her daughter about a very scary and intense thing her body would be going through cool as for blanche her family referred to it as the curse which if you really think about it is total bs so before you've even experienced the thing you're scared of it and you feel like you've done something to deserve it She was so scared she couldn't sleep. She thought witches were around every corner and wisteria tree. No one clarified that the curse and her period were the same thing. So she was just worried for years. Cool. For Sophia, she just had it. Then she didn't. The end. Back to making meatballs. That is actually pretty cool. Moving on, Rose shares that when she went through menopause, the only issue she had was a few hot flashes, but when she moved to the tropical climate of Miami, she couldn't tell the difference between weather and internal temperature changes, so it all worked out. Personally, I'm looking forward to menopause. No more fears of pregnancy, no more birth control, no more cramps until you want to fold into yourself, no more bleeding to the point that you're certain that this is it. This is the period that will be the death of you. As the ladies start to chow down on one of the most beautiful chocolate cakes I have ever seen, some of Sophia's colorful storytelling comes out in her sharing that her cousin didn't have a period for 20 years. Then, boom, she was pregnant at 72. In a classic, I'm fed up with your lying, dropping of her silverware, Dorothy stands up to face her mother, calling her out for being a liar. When Sophia continues to swear by her story, Dorothy makes a good point. If your cousin did get pregnant at 72 years old, she'd be in the Guinness Book of World Records. Well, it's not in the book everyone knows as a reference for world records, which, according to Guinness World Records, was started in the early 1950s when the managing director of the Guinness Brewery, and I swears I am not making this up, Sir Hugh Beaver, was with some friends at a shooting match, and they started to discuss what the fastest game bird was— Unable to find the answer in any of the books they had, the idea was born of compiling all of the highest, fastest, longest, and similar records in one place. My friend Matt and I have a dream of breaking or creating a record, and with ones like Tallest Hat and Most Toothpicks Held in a Beard, I'm pretty sure we can come up with something. In this case, Dorothy is right, and Sophia agrees. She never said anything about Guinness. The record is in the Sicilian book, the Garibaldi World Records. Well, that's just made-up nonsense. According to Vice, there is a Garibaldi World Record holder. A restaurant, Carne Garibaldi in Guadalajara, has set a record of its own for the fastest food service, with servers setting a table with a full menu of food in only 13.5 seconds. As for an older woman giving birth... Well, with today's technology, giving birth in later years is far more common. No one has hit the 72-year mark like Sophia's cousin, but Maria del Carmen Brosuda, who at just a few days shy of her 67th birthday, had twins she conceived via IVF, which seems a bit negligent on behalf of the doctor. When you're going to be 85 when the kids are graduating high school, it seems a bit inappropriate as you probs won't be able to provide adequate care. Back to the point they were making about men, the oldest man to become a father was Australian Les Cooley, who had his ninth child at 92 years old and 10 months. To steal Dorothy's feelings about a sperm bank? Ugh. Sophia admits, sure, she made it up, but it made Blanche feel better, so what does it matter? Getting a full view of the kitchen and everyone's outfits, we see Rose is in her best professional San Diego Chargers business suit with a blue pant and jacket and yellow shirt. Dorothy is bringing the blah with another droopy necked sweater and gray pants with earth tones on the droop. Sophia has her denim dress on with a maroon cardigan. And Blanche is sporting her, I'd like to know what other electrical appliances you have under there, flowy, colorful robe. Coco, this was an impressive conversation for 1987, kind of like how we're starting to see ads on TV with women shaving their stomachs, shaving their faces, and even pubic hair. It's like the realistic nature of their conversation was probably as amazing for women to see all those years ago as those ads are for us. I know that you were kind of like, wow, that's really an impressive conversation they're having.
1: I did say that, and I don't remember the conversation at all. (laughs)
0: The efforts of the girls to cheer Blanche up have done nothing. But when the hot veterinarian, Dr. Parks, comes in to share his opinion about the breedless minks, suddenly Blanche is full of pep and zest. Greeting him, she reverts to her natural state of flirtation when she learns the minks won't breed because they're too old. Playing Dr. Parks is Vince Cannon, Playing himself, being a consultant and producer, are some of the credits in his bio. He did do some acting, but besides Macmillan and Wife and the Rockford Files, there aren't many notable roles. Sadly, Vince passed away in 1998 at the age of 60. Dr. Parks lays it out for the ladies. They were sold minks that were too old. They were scammed. Well, that's what you get when you buy animals for the sake of... Okay, okay, I'll stand on The good doc goes on. Of course animals can get too old and lose interest. People, however, don't have that problem. Feeling full of life and lust, Blanche asks the animal doctor to escort her to the lanai where there's been a lizard looking peaked or pale from illness or fatigue that she wants him to check on. As they make their way out, Dorothy makes the observation that Blanche could be in a coma and if a man got anywhere near her, she'd roll over and shave her legs. Coming into sexual maturity at a year old, minks can live in the wild three to four years or up to ten if in captivity. They can get pregnant once a year during their three weeks of heat in February and March. And from what I could find, don't actually age out of reproduction. They just do it once a year until they die. They also have dark, beautiful fur, unlike the ferrets that are clearly being used in this episode. It's later that evening, and the ladies are somberly sitting around, regretting spending the $678 they did to start their little mink venture. Blanche enters the garage, now in a teal dress with white shirt. Clearly, she's gotten all dolled up for the doctor. They actually went out on a date, and they had a nice time, but it wasn't like he was some miracle cure. She recognized that it was the support of the girls who let her be a little wild for a bit, but stood by her side through it all. Now waiting for the minks, Fluffy, Muffy, Buffy, and Joanne to be picked up, Rose shares that the animal welfare people aren't coming because she called them off. Even though just earlier in the day, Rose was ready to raise them to be killed, she now feels like they had served them. Now they need to keep them. Blanche agrees. Why, she's no different than these minks. You can't just throw them out. As they make their way out of the garage, Rose catches a glimpse and sees that two of them are going at it. Before they can pop the champagne, Dorothy points out a little detail. Sure, they're breeding, but it's the two males. Good for them. Love is love. One last thing about the minks. It's clear they were used only as a vehicle to show animals may age out of reproduction, but people don't, and so to make Blanche feel better. But on the plus side, they weren't used for their fur. So good luck out there, ferret minks. What people find their identity in is up to them. Someone like Sophia may find it in her sauce. Someone like Blanche finds it in the bedroom. Sure, Blanche was overreacting, but what mattered was that her fear was real to her. Being by her side to share their own stories, the girls showed they understood while also trying to provide a foundation in reality. It's okay if thinking you're pregnant is the end of the world. It's okay if going through menopause feels like the end of the world. What really matters, though, is talking through those feelings with someone who can validate your concerns while also not letting the fear take over. Menopause is different for everyone that experiences it. If you are experiencing menopause and need someone to talk to, you can visit healthtalk.org for resources. As for the minks, well, fur is murder, so we'll just leave that at that. Your sexuality is like the minks. You are more than just the beautiful fur on the outside. It isn't just about being attractive. It's about what's inside. So no matter what happens to your fur, you're still you. And you're still beautiful. When it comes to going through a change of any kind, what matters is having those you love around you to hold you up and walk you through the dark realms of any curse you may come across in life. As always, thank you so much for listening, and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we find out who will get to meet Mr. Burt Reynolds in Ladies of the Evening. And now your first golden goodie of season two. If you create Golden Girls-inspired goodies, be sure to email us at alwaysbemysisters at gmail.com and we'd be happy to feature you. If you'd like your home to smell like the slut puppy you are, then you simply must visit bellvcandle.com or their Etsy shop at etsy.com shop slash B-E-L-L-E-V-I-E. Besides an assortment of candles featuring our girls, including the birthday candle for slut puppies, there's also a Hocus Pocus set, Fiance when he puts a ring on it, and Murder on My Mind all of which sound nasally delicious. So stop what you're doing and visit etsy.com slash shop slash Belle V for all of your vegan soy candle needs. Rosa Poe, Rosa Poe, Rosa Poe. Correcting her, Roy, Roy's. Correcting her, Roy. <laughs> rose points rose points Rose points Just then the door opens and ex- Like the actor Carrie Grant as previously discussed dust Have you ever had to deal with fleas?
1: No, I think I've seen a flea once and always ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. Ba-dum, ba-dum. Are you
0: doing flea from Red Hot yeah. Chili Peppers? Yeah, more like Seinfeld.
1: Don't worry about it.
0: The, I call them old lady hairs, not in a disparaging way, in a way of like what what I expect to have when I'm older. I see. And they're overnighters because mm-hmm. you kind of, I think most women, especially my age, you every once in a while just kind of, you do a little check around the chin and uh, there's nothing. And then the, the next day you do it and Boink. yeah, but it's like eight inches long. You're like, how did no one tell me this? It's
1: white. It hurts. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, So, yeah, I do expect because I have, I have a, a couple stray hairs already. So I really expect to have.
1: Just a full mustache. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm going to be quite hairy. So. Cool.
1: It's
0: going to be pretty cool. Me too. And your mom had a little like soul patch situation.
1: She hated and, it.
0: And I never know what to say. Like, yeah, I would see that on my grandma mm-hmm. or something. I'd be like, do I tell her i mean not that it matters like
1: yeah i'd want to know i
0: would want to know i'd be like oh yeah i know that's there you're welcome
1: if you see us at the golden girls cruise <laughs> please tell us about this sh- please the let me know yeah.
0: if i've got a stray hair sticking out that's what friends do always be my sisters is written hosted and created by alicia holland produced and edited by josh mccullough always be my sisters is a cascade media production you'll always be my sister